Coming up on the best of girls play footy on RSN Carnival, we catch up with the Brisbane Lions, Jordan Zanchetta, comedian Bobby McCumber, Irish co-captain Honora Mulcahy, East from Adels, Lynette Smith, and US umpire Laurie Roop. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to another Best of Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival. And a quick reminder, you can download this program as a podcast by going to Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud during the week and searching for Girls Play Footy. And don't forget, for all the latest women's footy news, go to girlsplayfooty.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Our first interview was with a talented midfielder from Queensland. She played exhibition match football several years ago for the Western Bulldogs. Looks certain to be picked up by the Brisbane Lions for the 2017 AFLW season. But unfortunately, during the 2016 Quaffle season, she ended up doing her ACL, ruling her out of the inaugural AFLW season. She did all the hard yards to get back to playing football at the top level. She returned mid-season to play for Yoronga South Brisbane in the QWAFL. When we first spoke to her, she would end up going on to win a premiership with the Devils and then in October be drafted by the Brisbane Lions to play in the 2018 AFL women's season. We talk about... Jordan Zanchetta. We first of all jumped into the time warp and we asked Jordan, where did she start her footy career? Um, I started playing in high school in grade 8. Um, AFL Queensland came to my high school and they ran some clinics um, and then my friends asked, I found out I really enjoyed it. So my friends asked me to come down to the local club and so I went down and yeah, I've been playing it ever since. Uh, being a Queenslander and, of course, leading up to year eight, um, was Aussie Rules much in your life? Did you support it or were you, like many up north, originally a rugby league girl? No, it was very much rugby league. My family supported rugby league. When the AFL used to come on, we used to switch it off. So it's really funny to look back now and, and to see how much has changed and how much AFL is now a part of my life. Yeah, what hooked you into it? What was it about Aussie Rules that got you so interested in the game, not only on-field, but off-field as well? Um, I think just being with the team, I used to play a lot of individual sports, but becoming part of a team and, you know, meeting all your friends. I've made lifelong friends now, so it's just a good environment to be around. And who got you down to Yoronga South Brisbane? Do you remember your first game at the Devils? Um... Yeah, it was a while back now. Um, Emily, so I used to play for Jindalee, and then our rival used to be Yoronga and Youth Girls, and then when our um, Jindalee didn't have a team anymore, I moved across to Yoronga. Um, and, yeah, it was pretty funny because I used to be, be my enemy, and then to be part of that team was pretty ironic. Eventually, you ended up playing Youth Girls for Queensland. Uh, do you remember the first conversation that came about that uh, you were going to be selected for that squad? Um. Not really. Obviously, it was very exciting, very new. Um, so it was, that was sort of my first big representative team in any sport. So I was very excited, um, yeah, just to be a part of it all. And, of course, you got to go away with several Queensland sides and a couple of times you were made on All-Australian as well at youth girls level. Um, the high-performance coach of Queensland is, uh, of course, the current Brisbane Lions AFLW coach and Craig Stasevich. He coached the Queensland youth girls at uh, several nationals. Um, in your view, what was Craig like to you a- as a coach? Um, no, he's a very he's a very good coach. He, he knows what's up. He's been around footy for so long. Um, he's supportive. He you know, really gets around gets around the girls and brings the best out of us. So yeah, he's really good. And just to give that little bit of an insight, how, how much feedback does he give you, uh, including when you went up to senior level, when you're not at, obviously at carnivals, tournaments, exhibition games, etc.? How often does someone like Craig touch base with you to ensure that you're improving your game? Oh, now and then, you know, he's got a, a lot of players to look after and stuff like that. But, you know, I see him around, so we have chats now and then. Of course, you've come up through the youth girls system into playing senior football at, at QWAFL since the introduction of the exhibition games uh, a few years beforehand, around 2013. Have you noticed the increase in the challenge in the playing quality as well at, at QWAFL? Um, yeah, I think so. I think with you know a league and something to aspire to, everyone's you know training harder. You know, there's more coaching staff. You know, more. Um, fitness coaches and conditioning so the level's obviously going to improve and I've definitely noticed that, yeah. 
And of course, you were lucky enough uh, to be uh, drafted, uh, I think it was 2015, into uh, uh, the Bulldog mm-hmm. squad. Um, how did it feel to have your name called out to be playing in, in one of those exhibition games? Yeah, it was, um, it was very exciting, very cool, something I would have never thought to have happened. You know, growing up, you always sort of just played for fun, but now for it to be a reality was, was very cool, yeah. And also the opportunity to play at Metricon Stadium and at the Gabba as well. I think you played twice representing the Gold Coast Suns against Brisbane Lions. Yeah, no, that was great, you know, to play on sort of the home, home big football stadiums in Queensland, obviously... It's a great opportunity, and I feel very privileged and lucky to have had that opportunity. Do you remember the night you were crowned joint league best and fairest? This was 2015. Uh, you and Emma Zilke tied for the QWAFL best and fairest. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a cool a cool night. Yeah, it's very it was unexpected. Obviously, you know you don't play for those single accolades, but you know from when I was very very fortunate and, and happy about it and that was a very it was a good night and of course uh no doubt last year you were building up you were you were hoping to be part of the 2017 aflw season but unfortunately you did your acl do you do you remember the game and and the moment that all happened yeah you know working so hard for that pre-season i did it in my second game back last year obviously you know it's very shattering and very disappointing but you know, these things happen when you play contested contested sports. So, you know, it's just something you have to go through and hopefully I'm better from it. So what's the journey been back since that ACL? What has been the process been like? Um, well, I'm nearly back playing now. So it's been, you know, 12, 14 months. Obviously, it's a challenging process. You've, you know, you've got positive days and you have the negative days, but you know, having the goal of, of coming back and, and playing in the league one day is a big reason why I kept pushing through and training hard. And what's it like at the moment on the training track? Are you allowed to essentially uh, almost get to match level, uh, twisting, turning, tackling, etc., or are you still on a slightly restricted program? No, I'm pretty much back full training. Um, yeah, it's just getting back and being confident in doing all those things, but hopefully if you few weeks of solid training I'll be back playing soon. And what support network did you have around you um, during the summer? I, I guess um, from a mental perspective it would have been very difficult to sit back and not being able to be out there and participate in the competition including just by like how well the Lions went. Mm. No I had a good support system. I mean you've got all your teammates and your friends and I've got family or the coaches you don't realise how many people care and about you and want to be there for you until something like that happens. So I'm very lucky to have all those people in my life supporting me through. And, of course, you will be nominating for the 2018 AFLW Draft. How it works out, of course, we have the state-based pools where you nominate for a particular state. Have you made up your mind? Will you be nominating definitely for Queensland or are you still assessing your options? No, I'll, most likely, I'll nominate for Queensland most likely where my family and friends are and I don't know if I get the opportunity, I'll take it with both hands. Indeed, of course, uh, again, you're a star. They gave you plenty of uh, um, experience behind you from those exhibition games. But I guess, uh, like players around your age, it's one thing they'll have to contend with in, in, in the years to come. You've got all these great youth girls also coming through the system. Yeah, for sure. You never want, want an easy in. You always want people to compete against and, you know, there's lots of girls to choose from. It's only going to make our competition and our team stronger. So I'm all for that. It's a good challenge. And as well, let's talk about off the field for the moment because I believe uh, over the past couple of years you've been doing an AFL Sports Ready traineeship. Yeah, I did a uh, two-year Sports Ready traineeship. Finished that up last year um, with AFL Queensland. So that was really good. You know, getting out there into the schools, growing the game. I really enjoyed it. So how do you see yourself going forward? Uh, obviously, uh, for, for the foreseeable future, women's football will be uh, semi-professional. Do you see yourself balancing that with a role outside of um, outside of, of football or will you be uh, being within the football industry? Um, at the moment, probably outside. I'll just be playing footy. I'm looking to study and you know get into other stuff like that. So probably for now, just playing footy here. And while you've had that time off as well, um, have you got into the, any of the coaching roles and assisting off the field at Yeronga? Yeah, you know, I've, got every, I've been to most of the games, you know, supporting the girls, you know, being a runner, 
helping me out with some of the newer girls as well, you know, trying to get them to learn and, and teach them some of the things that I know. So, yeah, it's been around. <laughs> You've had also an interesting recruit as well um, uh, after the AFLW season to Yeronga. You've got Sabrina Frederick-Traub. So how are you going to be feeling as a midfielder being able to deliver her the ball laces out in the forward line? <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for that. It's good to have Sabs on board. She's been really good, you know, a lot of experience up there to help out the other girls. Yeah, I can't wait out to get out there and play with the girls. Fantastic to hear. Now, do you have a date circled in the calendar yet of what game you'll be coming back? No, not yet. It's just about, you know, ticking off the last few boxes. I haven't put on a date um, throughout my rehab, so we'll just see how it goes. And when I'm back, I'm back. Well, Jordan, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best in the last few weeks or days, whatever it may be, as you tick off those boxes and then uh, you pull back on the Yoronga jumper and hopefully a Brisbane Lions jumper in the 2018 AFLW season. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. As we headed into spring, we saw the release of the first ever Women's Footy Almanac, looking back at the inaugural AFLW season. One of the entries written into the book was by comedian Bobby McCumber. Now, we don't speak to her just because she's a very funny woman, but we also speak to her because she was a former women's footballer. She'd represented Victoria, won premierships at the St. Norban Spurs, and was the first ever paid staff member of the then VWFL. So she certainly has a special place at Victorian women's footy history. It was a pleasure to have Bobby on the line. Oh, I'm fantastic. You made me sound pretty good back then, didn't you? <laughs> Mate, you are a superstar. Let's just quickly, before we talk about this great new book, The Women's Footy Almanac, you yourself were a former Victorian representative. What did it mean to you to see the Big V run around on Saturday night at Docklands? Oh, it, it was awesome. I, I think just having that game being played at Etihad Stadium, I think they said there were 10,000-plus people there. It's exciting. It's on TV. I mean, the games that we had, we probably had about five or six people on the, on the sidelines sitting on an esky kind of yelling abuse at us. So it was a good change. <laughs> <laughs> and just quietly, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The Victorians dominant again with a 97-point win. Yeah, I know. I, I think that took a lot of people by shock, to be honest with you, with, especially with um, Queensland, uh, Brisbane and Adelaide playing in the AFLW Grand Final. I thought it would be a lot closer than that, but it was it was like old times, back about 10, 20 years ago when Victoria used to absolutely dominate in the national championships. It was good to watch. It's a bit of a scary, scary stat, isn't it, when any time a Victorian side has had Debbie Lee involved on or off the field, they've never been beaten. And the only time they have been beaten is because she couldn't make the flight over to Perth because she was pregnant at the time. <laughs> so Debbie Lee is a lucky charm. Well, there you go. She'll be happy to hear that too. Ranking rights for her. <laughs> now, of course, uh, with this great book, The Women's 40 Almanac, before we mention your forward in this book, we need to point out you're not just like a random comedian who's just written a piece. You were a star in your own right in the VWFL. Can you tell us a little about your history when you first kicked off playing for the Spurs? Yeah, look, I, I, I don't know about a superstar. I did certainly play um, a fair bit of football. Uh, I played for the Spurs for about uh, 15 or 16 years. Um, on and off, I, I was overseas a little bit and also had a couple of knee reconstructions in there as well. So had a few seasons off, but um, represented the Big V uh, four times uh, and we were playing by annual there as well. So, And that, when we first started playing, I had to pay our own way as well. So that's, I guess, my involvement in, in playing. Absolutely loved it. Uh, playing for the Big V. I think I was 18 when I first played and we played in Canberra. Um, yeah, and then I uh, was working overseas in uh, in sports, in cricket actually, when I come back um, to Melbourne. There was a position vacant with the Victorian Women's Football League as the uh, full-time operations manager. So applied for that, got that, and yeah, was working in footy for a couple of years after that as well. You were at the coalface working with the VWFL. Could you imagine when you first started doing that full-time position that would be at where we are now? Nah, I, I, I honestly can say, I, I mean, there's people like stalwarts of, and we've spoken about Debbie Lee and just the people that were on the committee like Lisa Caddo, uh, Anne Rilton. These people have just put so much of their time and effort and life into women's footy. And I remember Debbie, you know, pushing for the exhibition matches and saying, you know, one day she wanted AFL teams to have both male and female. And, and, it, when she said it to me initially, I thought, you know, you're dreaming. I mean, it's a, it's a great pipe dream, but I honestly didn't think I would see it in my lifetime. Um, but to see where it's come now and, and all the AFL clubs vying to have their own women's team, it is, it, it's awesome. It's just so beautiful to watch all these young girls 
being able to go into Auskick youth girls, have their pathways all the way up to AFLW. And, yeah, I, I, you know, obviously AFL have jumped on board with this AFLW and it's just exploded. We, The Spurs last year we had uh, two teams and, and this year we've just doubled in size. And I think that's the same for a lot of the premier clubs. They've just expanded. Everyone wants to play, which is fantastic. For you as one who's played football for the best part of a decade and a half, when did it truly hit you of, oh, my God, this is actually happening, we're here on the national stage? Last year, um, when they when they put forward, when Gil McLaughlin put forward AFLW, because um, I think it was supposed to be 2020 to start with, and then it was 2017, uh, we had had the draft. I think the draft was a really uh, surreal moment as well. Just I, I was at work and I was live streaming it, minimising it so I didn't get in trouble. Um, but watching it, that was exciting. Seeing the AFL, uh, the girls getting the AFL jerseys, um, and I, I mean nothing was more surreal than the start of the AFLW season this year. Just having a lockout at Icon Park, and yeah, yeah. I, there's so many moments where it kind of you know, really hit, but I think just the opening, the opening round, sellout, lockout, thousands of people missing out. It was just such a momentous occasion, not only for women's football, women in sport, and just Australian history, to be honest. I think everyone wanted to be a part of it. Spoiler alert for everyone. I'm about to mention a bit of the forward that Bobby has written in this great book, The Women's Footy <laughs> Almanac. You actually weren't there at Icon Park. What's the story behind that? <laughs> oh, no, I... So, um, as you mentioned, I, I'm a comedian and I was booking a show that I was performing with a few friends. Uh, we toured around Australia and it was our Melbourne shows that I had to lock in six months in advance. And I'd locked in the Friday of the first game. Of course, I didn't realise this until three months after I'd booked it and we weren't able to get any other time. So... I, I was devastated, to be honest with you, because I know it was such a momentous time in oh, women in sport, women's football, everything. So I missed it. Uh, I got a heap of text messages from people telling me they weren't coming to the game because uh, weren't coming to my show, sorry, because they were all going to the game. And I was uh, I was actually thinking about missing the show myself and <laughs> going to the game because yeah, it was uh, it, it was devastating to be honest with you, Peter. What was your initial feeling? when you finally got to watch back, at least on replay, that first ever match? Oh, um, so that night after my show, I actually, I come home and I was recording the game. Thankfully, all the games were um, on television. So, uh, yeah, I come home and I, I reckon it was about one o'clock in the morning and then I just rewatched the whole game. And then the, the next day I watched it again. I, I just watched it on the news. So it, it was still that night or the early the next morning um, and then the next day again. And... <sighs> And then, because I know the Western Bulldogs were playing that night uh, at Witten Oval, and I, I'm also involved in cricket as well, and I've got a couple of girls from my cricket team that were playing in that team, as well as girls from the Spurs that were playing. But once again, I had to miss it and go and perform at my show. So it was, uh, it, it was heartbreaking, but at the same time, it was so wonderful. How does it feel for you personally, being a footballer, and there's and as many like you, that missed out for, by about, say, five years, that you were so close, but yet so far away from being able to enjoy the luxury that these girls have now being semi-professional footballers? Yeah, um, I mean, surprisingly, there are actually a couple of people that uh, that I played state with that are a similar age to me that are playing in the AFLW. One of my good mates, Bree White, she's still playing and she's been signed again to play with Collingwood. Um, Meg Hutchins as well. There's there's a few of them, but uh, I, I certainly couldn't have lasted as long as they did. Um, I'm... I don't think there's any jealousy or anything like that. I honestly am just absolutely humbled and love love to, you know, people actually recognise that you did play, you know, for Victoria and and just seeing, for me, the biggest highlight for me, not seeing, you know, my mates, my mates playing, it's great for them, but just seeing the young girls on the sidelines hanging over the fence, signing autographs and just in awe of their heroes, that honestly just melts my heart and makes me so happy to see, you know, we were a part of that. We're not they're enjoying that part at the moment, but I'm enjoying it from the sidelines and it's brilliant. I love it. Let me throw the question out there. We, of course, had the night before the AFLW Origin, we had the men's legends game. If they came up with the concept to say, look, we're going to have the women's legends match and, and you got the invite, would you pull on the boots again? Oh, geez, I'd have to uh, I'd say yes, without a doubt, and I'd like to be mic'd up because I reckon I'd be more entertaining on the mic than I would actually on the football field. I probably would hopefully not do an injury and uh, have to um, 
do a couple of fitness sessions beforehand, but <laughs> absolutely, I reckon that'll be an absolute ball. Now, Bobby, we've been talking about the Women's Footy Almanac, which we've mentioned that you've written a forward for. You've had a chance to have a look through it. What's the thing that strikes you most about the Footy Almanac? What do you enjoy reading about it? What, the, the thing I loved about it is, um, you know, I put my story forward. That was just my experience on how I felt about AFLW. And it wasn't until I read, I was fortunate enough to launch the book um, at the official launch. Um, so I read the book prior. And there are so many different stories. I think there's 40 different writers. And you see perspective of what it meant to them through so many different eyes. And that, for me, like that was huge. I didn't think of it from anyone else's perspective before I'd read that book. I just, you know, knew what mine was and a couple of friends. But it was just really lovely and humbling just to hear even fathers talking about now them taking their daughters to Auskick and them taking them to watch the AFLW games. Um, there's some great stories just from different people, not not just past players, but partners, friends, people that weren't even involved in football. And they tuned in to watch this just because it was such a historic moment. So it's, it, I think it's great. I actually got to relive the moment over and over again through different people's eyes, reading through the footy almanac, which was great. Indeed, it is a fantastic book. It's available in stores now, the Women's Footy Almanac 2017. Make sure you get your hands on a copy. It's edited by Stephanie uh, Connell, John Harms and Yvette Warby. Uh, just before I let you go, um, as we mentioned, the AFLW has come along. It's a bit of a changing of the guard, isn't it, that as the AFLW started, your old competition has closed, the VWFL, and it, and it appears maybe soon that the old VWFL clubs won't be playing in the state league as things change and the AFL clubs come into that as well. Is there a little bit of sadness in that, that I guess one door is closing while another's opening? Yeah, I definitely think there is. There's going to be a lot of sadness, but there also there were always going to be changes uh, with AFLW coming in. And I guess if the VFL, the women's VFL teams aligning more so with AFL or VFL clubs as well. I think one of the most important things is that we do keep the history and Things like the um, Helen Lambert medal, which has always been for the best player, which was uh, in the VWFL. I know they kept the name for the VFL um, um, best player as well. So just hoping that they keep some of the historic things with football, which great AFLW started in 2017, but women's football started a lot long before that. And we just want to make sure we we cherish and, uh, and um, respect all of those winners as well. Indeed. Bobby, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. All the very best on the comedy circuit and fingers crossed that maybe that Legends game comes around and you're able to pull on the boots one more time. <laughs> That'd be a bit of fun. Thanks, Peter. You're listening to the best of Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. In August this year, we saw AC17 in Melbourne. That's the International Cup. Two divisions of men's teams and one division of women's team battling it out to be crowned international champions. On the women's side of the draw, it would end up being Ireland to take out a thrilling grand final over Canada at Etihad Stadium. One of the co-captains of the Irish Banshees women's team was Honora Mulcahy, and she joined us just a few days after their championship win. Um, I don't think it's quite sunk in yet. Pretty good, though. It's a good feeling so far. Let's take a flashback to Head Stadium and Saturday night, particularly the last few minutes. What's going through your head, particularly for about the last four minutes? Canada had the ball a lot inside 50. They were bombing away, bombing away, coming at you, and you were having to hold the line. What's going through the head? Um, I think we were just hoping that we could hold it. They got the lead. We got the lead about 10 minutes to go, and when I saw we got the goal... I did worry for a bit that we wouldn't be able to hold it, but we did, and it was pretty relentless at the end. Um, they were they were trying to attack. Had they brought the ball out and tried to use the space a bit better, I think um, it would have been more difficult to defend against. But as they kept attacking, we knew we could have them. When they kept at it that way, we I think there was just bodies going to the ball and line and everything. It was pretty desperate at the end. Indeed it was, and just quietly in the crowd as well, the uh, Great Britain Swans and the uh, USA Freedom players were all on your bandwagon cheering you on to try and beat the Canadians. Let's take a step back for a moment, shall we, to uh, obviously when you were first heading out here to Australia for the tournament. Uh, When did you find out that you would be honoured with the co-captaincy alongside Laura Jurea to lead the Banshees? Um, I think a couple of weeks before I came, so that was a very nice welcome surprise prior to the trip. 
And uh, as you were coming out as well, you had to leave behind your Wandsworth Demons, who you played for uh, back in the UK. Was that a difficult thing to do? And I guess it affected some of the GB Swans girls as well, having to leave a club that was bound for finals. And of course, eventually your Wandsworth Demons won the uh, London Premiership. Uh, yes, actually, that was quite difficult. It was a very personal gripe of mine for the year that while they're trying to promote AFL in Europe and everything, that grand final and IC would coincide. And we knew that from quite an early stage. And um, it, it angered me quite a lot. It was a decision that I didn't want to ever have to make. But in the end, when you get to represent your country in a competition that comes around every three years, it's not that hard a decision in the end, but it's not one that anyone wants to make either. Um, our club were in a very strong position going in and we had built up all year and we kind of knew that we'd be missing some players for finals. So I think it was very much a squad that we were building for the year. We weren't, we were never just depending on a couple of players. So I felt very confident that my club would be able to manage without me. There wasn't too much of a hole left. They ended up winning the uh, grand final to take out the premiership. Did you end up staying up late? I think it was Saturday night uh, Australian time to uh, watch them take the flag. I actually didn't. It was on at, I think, 11.20 Saturday night, just before our first game. So I put my phone on airplane mode at about 11 o'clock. I, I knew if I stayed up that I'd just want to keep watching. And at that point, I'd made my decision to come to, to Australia to play. So I said I wouldn't jeopardise that by watch, staying up to stay late. And how quickly do you think the team gelled for the Irish Banshees? Because essentially, I think you're about 20, 21 players who were based in Europe and about nine who are based in Australia. Um, I think we grew as the, the tournament developed. And even during that final game, I think we were still gelling quite near the end. Um, I think we did well in the end. I think it was quite difficult as the tournament progressed because I think individually we all knew we could play better. It was just a matter of getting everyone to, to play in the same way and to, to get to know everybody. Interesting to know your thoughts as well on a couple of uh, key players uh, that, that did well in the grand final and throughout the tournament. Uh, first of all, a woman that we caught up with uh, live on Facebook, uh, Colleen Quinn from the Ulster Kookaburras. Yeah, she did an amazing tournament. Um, she put in a lot of hard work and she started her footballing here and she did really well in the tournament. She should be very proud how about Marie Keating from the UCC Crusaders? I think Marie is quite the legend of the game. Uh, from many people that I think have played football or in, in Australia, she's an amazing player and really great to look up to. And I had the pleasure of uh, rooming with her for a couple of weeks, so that was pretty. That was a lovely experience. And uh, how about as well your best on ground um, in uh, Carol Breen from the UCS Shamrocks? Um, she did an amazing tournament. I think it was very well served. She put 100% effort in and was just a brilliant player throughout the tournament and delighted that she was on our team. And a player that we've been singing the uh, praises of, uh, Gillian Behan. Yes, what a player. She's pretty amazing. She's at amazing speed. It's actually just amazing to watch when you're on the pitch and she gets it. And then a couple of seconds later, she's ditched about three players and off she is towards the goal. She's a phenomenal player. I'm interested to know as well uh, when the decision was made to go with Clara Fitzpatrick for the ruck because um, you obviously have Laura Jurea in your side. She actually uh, made the world team in 2014 uh, by being a ruck for the Irish. But uh, in this tournament, you switch, you put her down back like she is in AFLW. So when did the call come out that we were going to go with Clara in the number one ruck position? Um, Clara had played in Europe last year. She started off her football based in Ireland. We had a couple of competitions um, within European sites in London and Lisbon last year, and both times she got on team of the tournament for that. So she was she's a pretty impressive ruckman. So I'm not sure um, how hard that decision was to the point. I think it's also so beneficial to have such an experienced player in the backs. It can really settle a team when your backline is solid. So I think. Um, to be honest, I don't know when that decision was made, but in my mind, Clara was always a rock. And talking about uh, Laura, as we just did momentarily, um, how much did you find that you learnt personally off your fellow co-captain and Laura Duran about the way you hold yourself and, and captain aside? Um, I think I've learnt a lot over the last few weeks. Uh, it was a pleasure and honour to share it with her. And I think we both brought different things to the competition. 
and ultimately it worked out well. Um, she's a lovely person and really got around the team and made a massive effort to get to know everybody, which wasn't easy considering she was probably, she was in the minority being Melbourne based when everyone else had travelled. Um, she brings great confidence to the team and has such good inspiring words to rile everyone up. So it was, it was a good experience. Now, as you said, you obviously played with the side in Europe when you played through several tournaments there, including the European Championships and uh, the London All-Stars Tournament, uh, for example. Um, over the past 12 months, who are some of the footballers you thought have uh, stepped up and really developed their game, particularly some of the debutants who first started playing the game just last year? Um, the aforementioned Clara, I think, did really well. It's only her second season playing, and... She's a phenomenal player and a wonderful work, work woman and everything. Um, do you, sorry, do you mean Irish-based players or general uh, UK uh, ones? Uh, Irish and uh, European-based, some that are obviously more oh, yes. play in the UK competition. Um, so Linda Connolly, our full forward, has taken up the game in the last couple of years. So I think she's progressed really well and done really well. She was a key player for Wandsworth Demons as well. Um, I think most of our players have picked it up in Ireland, actually. There's only a few um, who have played in Australia itself, so I think a lot of us started playing without having been to Australia or played it here. And for yourself, Anora, what's next post IC17? Um, I have to book some flights to go to Bordeaux at the start of October to um, hold on to the crown of European Championships for European Nine Side European Cup. So that's the next step. And uh, hopefully you're able to retain that title to be uh, one of the few to be able to say you hold the IC Cup and the European Nine Side Championships. Anora, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. We uh, wish you all the very best throughout the remainder of your stay in Australia. And, of course, uh, when you pull on the boots again for the Euro Cup and then again for the 2018 AFL London Women's Competition. Thank you very much. Nice chatting. During the year, one of the WAWFL clubs celebrated their 30th anniversary. They originally began as Melville, but we know them now as the East Fremantle Sharks. And we were lucky enough to have one of their veterans, Lynette Smith, join us on the line to talk about how the club evolved over the years. Yeah, 30, 30 years, long time coming. Um, and first time that we've, we're trying to get a past players game happening. It sounds like it's going to be a huge day, but let's step back in time a moment. Now, for 30 years, you weren't fully East Fremantle. You were originally born as the Melville Women's Football Club. Yeah, that's right. Um, back in 87, um, there were uh, four amateur clubs approached um, in uh, in the Perth District to take on um, a newly formed women's league competition, um, one of those being Melville in 1987. Um where we were affiliated with the Melville Rams, uh, and then um, there on uh, corner of uh, Stock Road and Canning Highway. Um, they took us in, and 1988 were the first games played, um, and I started playing in, in 89. So only when you were two years old. We don't want to give away your age. Only, only when you were two. You, you were toddler out in the field. <laughs> so back in 89, but there was some success, wasn't there, early in the years for Melville? Yeah, um, we had back-to-back premierships in 1990-91. We were were quite a strong club then because, unfortunately, in the previous year, 89, uh, Mount Lawley won the premiership and then the club disbanded and we got um, a few of the girls that came over to us, um, which increased our numbers and um, our talent. And um, we got a new coach on board and, uh, yeah, we got uh, two premierships. A fantastic way to start what would be a rich history for the club. And originally, as you said, you started as the Rams and you're wearing the green and gold originally. Green and gold. We're actually, uh, yeah, the men's were Melbourne Rams. We were the Melbourne Warriors. Uh, Green and gold. Um, So we got the men's off-cast jumpers um, that, you know, the old woolen ones didn't quite fit properly and when they got wet, they were very heavy. Um, back in those days, there, there weren't many um, women cuts to anything, uh, especially the shorts. So we, uh, there were, um, weren't any set rules or, or branding to what we wore for shorts. It was more just the jumper and then whatever you could get your hands on for the shorts. So we wore, actually, men, most of us wore the men's shorts which sometimes were, as you remember, were quite um, small. 
And you can imagine this is a long way from AFLW and the spotlight on women's football. So what were the numbers like back then of getting players on the training track and I guess the Sunday morning call around to try and get enough to play? Yeah, we, um, you know, we, we, we're sort of fairly healthy in, in the way of numbers, but, yeah, just to turn up to training. There were some days that, you know, we would get, you know, five five girls turning up to training. Sometimes, you know, the coach wouldn't turn up. Uh, and it, it was really difficult, especially game day. You know, we had to start with 12 on the field. Um, initially, we only had to have um, play with 15 aside. So it was it was really hard, and we, we had to put up with a lot of um, ridicule and chauvinistic comments from from all over, not just men, but women as well. You know, that women shouldn't be playing football, and um, they should be in the kitchen, and all those sort of comments came out. So, and, um, yeah, so it was, it was quite hard. So we just pushed past that and, um, you know, tried to build up our numbers as much as possible. The girls, um, they they'd come and go very frequently. So we're always recruiting new new numbers, new to football who hadn't even played before, so we had to reteach or retrain girls in, in the skills. When did the move come about to go to East Fremantle and become now the Sharks? We went to East Fremantle about 2007, but we were the Melville Sharks. We wore the East Fremantle jumper, but it was purple and white, which uh, the opposition team will be wearing on Sunday. And with um, discussions with our then president, um, Kylie Fuller, uh, in discussions with East Remantle, amalgamated with them and known as we are today, um, East Remantle Shark. It must be a big call, isn't it, to staffing your grassroots at Melville to move to eventually become East Remantle and, and change uh, how you look from when you began? Yeah, I remember being in that meeting and they were talking about it, you know, changing our name, changing our uniform, and I'm going, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I want the old Melville, you know. And so it, it was sad in a way, but I knew that we had to move forward and become a stronger club and, and have a name for ourselves. And we still have the um, MWFC on the back of our jumpers, so we've still got our history uh, there as well. But, yeah, it was hard changing over. As you said, going back 30 years ago when you first began, there was a lot of ridicule of women playing football. For you, when did you feel it started to turn, that respect started to come to the women's game? And not only respect, but also the attitudes of women playing the game, turning towards professionalism. Uh, I think when the first games were on free-to-air TV, that was, I think, 2014. They got first got aired. And I think then, that you know, the, the public could actually see women playing football uh, just as well as the men. You know, they hit hard, they go in hard, they can kick, you know, they can mark, you know, even some of them taking screamers. So I think that's when it it started to turn and we got a a lot more support, especially from uh, commentators and, you know, people like that who have sort of been on our side, but you still get those remarks coming through on their interviews or, um, you know, radio talkback shows and stuff like that. We now have AFLW to aspire to. What has that meant for numbers now at East Fremantle, those that are wanting to sign up and wanting to play across various age groups? Yeah, well, um, I'm also the East Fremantle district female representative, so I'm also involved in the junior girls. And just there we've got, um, because we're in the Fremantle Conference, which includes South Fremantle, so we've got 14 new under-12 girls' teams this year and about four under-15 girls' teams. So the increase there has been fantastic. We've got our youth girls at East Romantle were sort of struggling with numbers last year. We've now got about 27-plus registered for the youth girls and uh, with our reserves and league, we've got in excess of 90 girls over that and and about, I think, 60 of them are new girls this year. So the increase has been fantastic. We're looking now in the future on how we're going to get these girls all again because at the moment, um, if you're not training or if you haven't paid your fees, you don't get a game. So, you know, we want to keep these girls in in women's football. We don't want to lose them to other sports, so we have to keep that interest there. 
Certainly. And I guess it's a pleasant headache in a way that all clubs are experiencing at the moment, the influx of mm. players coming in. Um, to- yeah, we're not the only ones. So. <laughs> to- talking about uh, players, uh, obviously uh, a number of women would have gone through the doors in the last 30 years. In your humble opinion, what's some of the best footballers you've seen pull on either a Melville or East Fremantle jumper? Oh my gosh, um, there are too many, too many, too many there to um, even name. Well, you've got Amanda Crean, who's I think three-time WA Women's Football League fairest and best, um, and I'm not sure how many she is with East Fremantle, if any. Um, Belinda Bentley, she's also Women's League's fairest and best, and been 2004, five and six for our league fairest and best. Uh, we've got Mel Caulfield, she's also a multi Ferris and Best for the league and 2011 and 12 uh, for Eastern Marshall. Tia Haynes, um, Kirby Bentley, and you know, now we've got the Kirby Bentley Cup mate named after her. Um, there's just numerous amount of talent in our girls and you know, that have played, put, put on the boots for Eastern Marshall or Melville. A rich history it is indeed, and I guess the good news for you is not obviously some of the current AFLW stars still running around for you and will be on Sunday, but many coming back uh, to the club on Sunday for this oldies game you've got on. Oldies game, yes. I've um, dragged up our our captain from um, 89, Lynn Kay. She'll be pulling on the boots. Um, I did the... Uh, the before the siren um, PF event at South Mantle. So she, you know, got the feel for the, the footy again. Um, we've got Belinda Bentley coming back. Uh, as you said, all, all those great names, obviously yourself being involved. And we shouldn't downplay yourself because, as we said, you're a, uh, a life member, a club legend, and more importantly, the Volunteer of the Year Award is named after you at the WAWFL. How does it feel to have your name on that trophy? Um, I actually felt quite um, humbled by being, you know, having having that accolade against my name, I guess. Um, and, of course, when they decided I wasn't in that meeting. Um, so, you know, when they started talking about it, it was quite a surprise. And, and I felt quite honoured to take on that role and, um, or, you know, have the, the award named after me. Um, I haven't stopped volunteering. I'm still volunteering um, to the fact that, uh, the grassroots book that the Department of Sport and Rec have just put out. Um, I'm in there with my beloved shark mascot and also on the, the um, Department of Sport and Rec foyer wall. So I was one of the 42 volunteers that are in that book. That is an incredible honour and uh, no doubt you'll deserve all the pats on the back this Sunday for this extraordinary sponsors and past players day. Just again, for those that want to head along to check out the game, where again is that location for those that want to find the Oval and of course everything that'll be happening on the Sunday? It's at Eastern Mantle Oval on Marmion Street. Uh, starting, the youth girls are starting at 10 o'clock. Um, the, our, our game, the old old girls game at 11.30, followed by the league match at 12.30, followed by the reserves match. Well, Lynette, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best this Sunday with the East Fremantle Sponsors and Pass Players Day celebrating 30 years of the Melville and East Fremantle Women's Football Clubs. Thanks very much, Peter. And if anyone else, um, if anyone wants to come down um, and cheer us on, they're more than welcome. This is the best of Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Now, throughout the year, we caught up with many women's footballers from not just across Australia, but throughout the world. But we also took a rare opportunity to catch up with an umpire from the United States. Her name, Laurie Roop. And, of course, we naturally asked her, how did she get involved in Aussie Rules Football? Well, I got involved through friends. I had made a couple of friends a few years ago. I actually ended up on vacation with them, and they were telling me about this fantastic sport that they played in Minnesota called Australian Rules Football. And I ended up going and checking it out with them and fell in love with the sport. And now I can't imagine my life without Aussie Rules Football. Now, obviously, a lot of players that we've talked to that are based outside of Australia that find out about the game have naturally taken it up and played the game. But for yourself, you've gone down a different road and got into umpiring. How did that come about? 
So I started playing. So that was how I got into the sport. But then I tore my ACL in 2015. And so I, I just had a feeling that my playing days were probably over at that point. But I really wanted to stay involved with the sport because I love it. I had made a lot of friends through it. It was um, just a great way for me to stay active. And so that's how I ended up looking into umpiring. And I don't think I would have necessarily looked at it uh, had I not been injured. So it's kind of funny how things happen in life sometimes, but that's how I got into umpiring. I guess for us Australians, um, umpiring might come to us a little bit easier because we're, we're born with the gang. We've grown up. We've learned all the rules. Even though, to be honest, the AFL did change the rules a lot, and sometimes we still struggle to know all the rules. <laughs> but for, for yourself, how was it trying to sit down, and after you've only been involved in the game only just a handful of years, to be able to know all the intricacies, all the, all the little rules? Because I think there's something like 34 rules in the rule book, if I'm correct. Yes. I mean, I'll be honest. It's, I still learn stuff every time I go out and umpire. So it's, it's a never ending learning process for sure. But basically I just jumped in, right? I I didn't know any better. I just jumped in and I figured that I was going to make mistakes, but I was going to learn along the way. And each game I would get a little bit better. And that is exactly what's happened. And I've also spent a lot of time reading the rules book, which I'm sure to some people just sounds agonizing, but I figured that's what I needed to do to become a good umpire. Now, of course, over there, you do have the official USAFL Umpires Association. So how many in that group at the moment and how many would you also guess uh, an approximate percentage of women? Um, Let's see. So for women... I think there's about six umpires uh, across the country, and that's across a couple of different disciplines. We've got a few goal umpires and then field umpires. I think I'm one of two who umpire full-time. Actually, sorry, I'm one of three who umpire full-time. And, oh gosh, of course you're going to ask me how many total people are in the USAFL. I think we've got between 50 and 60 umpires and the USAFL Umpires Association is probably going to shoot me if I don't get that number right. So, <laughs> Well, close enough is good enough, but I also believe that you almost do like a crash course for umpires, don't you, when the Nationals come around? Because that's a big tournament to try and officiate. You essentially got five games going on at once. And if I'm correct, there's something like 60, 70 games over the weekend at least. Yeah, for sure. And so usually every Friday before that tournament's is we have an afternoon umpires camp. So that way, either people that are brand new to umpiring or people that have been umpiring for a while, they can come and it's an afternoon-long clinic and we cover everything. We cover goal umpiring, we cover field umpiring, and, and it's everything under that, right? It's about the decision-making, your positioning, um, you know, talking through the decision-making process. And so it's it's definitely a crash course in how to become an umpire that day before national starts. Now, just a couple of months ago, you ended up in Europe at the AFL uh, European Champions League, which was a big weekend out there in uh, Amsterdam. So the question asks, how does an American who just learned Australian football end up in Europe officiating football over there? Oh, I know. This is a great story. So so the USAFL, Umpires Association, we are actually actively starting an exchange with AFL Europe and their Umpires Association. We feel like there are a lot of things that both leagues can learn from each other, and we think that there's a lot of benefit for us exchanging umpires between the two leagues because – you know, there's there's a lot of expat Australians in both of our countries or in both of our regions. There's a lot of, you know, people that grow, grew up in Europe or grew up in the U.S. that have now gotten involved in the sport. So we just feel like there was a ton of opportunity for us to learn from each other. And so that was the whole point of me going over to Amsterdam to umpire over there was to see how they do it in Europe. How does AFL Europe work? How do the teams play? What's the level of play? And that is how I ended up in Europe, in Amsterdam, for that one-day tournament. And I think there's a photo of you online showing a big grin that you've been paid, the big 70 bucks euro. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was that was amazing. I had completely forgotten that I was getting any money to umpire that day. I obviously was not there for the, the money I was there to learn from, from AFL Europe. And so when they handed me that envelope with my pay at the end of the day, I just had to take a photo because I was just so excited to have gotten a little bit of money for my effort that day. And for you as an umpire that you've seen now, American football and European Australian football, how do you compare the standards? 
I actually think they're very similar because whether you're talking about an AFL Europe team or whether you're talking about a USAFL team, uh, you know, both of those teams have very similar makeups. You've got expat Australians that are on those teams. And then you've got people that grew up in that country that have maybe studied abroad in Australia or have spent time traveling through Australia or just found the sport through other friends. And so I feel like the skill levels are very similar because of the makeup of the teams, which once again, that's why we're trying to do this exchange with AFL Europe, because I think we have a ton that we can learn from each other. And we also learned a few weeks ago that you'll be coming down to Melbourne for the AFL International Cup in August. How did that opportunity present itself? Yes, so every three years, you know, the USAFL Umpires Association, they solicit applicants for going down there. And so I had to put my name in the hat because I've never been to Australia before and with all that I've been doing for umpiring and just how much I'm enjoying it, there is no better place for me to go and and learn more and see the sport in person than going to Melbourne. So I put my name in the hat as one of the umpires to be considered for the for getting selected to go down there, and I got it. I, I was selected. I'm going to be uh, essentially the female representative of the USAFL Umpires Association down there, so I'm very excited for the opportunity. Absolutely fantastic for you, and we look forward to you coming down here in literally just two months' time. The the clock is already ticking. Uh, Between uh, now and then, what does your schedule look like uh, when it comes to umpiring in the U.S.? Yes, so every Monday night, uh, we've got women's games that happen here in the Twin Cities. So actually, when I get off the call with you, I'll be getting ready to head out to umpire tonight. And then every Saturday, we've got men's games that uh, happen in the Twin Cities as well. So those are my Monday and Saturdays. And then we actually, uh, later this month, we have a couple of different regional teams that are coming to visit Minnesota. So the Chicago Swans and the Des Moines Roosters are coming to visit on consecutive weekends. And so I'll be able to get some competitive games under my belt as well before coming down for the IC in Melbourne. And... Other than that, just lots of running, lots of weightlifting, and just making sure I'm in tip-top shape for the trip. And I guess afterwards, uh, then preparing for two months later, possibly to come down to San Diego for the next USAFL Nationals. Yes, definitely. I will be there. And when I had mentioned earlier this exchange that we're starting with AFL Europe, they're actually going to be sending over three umpires to help us at our nationals this year. So I feel like our exchange is already off to a great start with them coming to San Diego to help us out. Absolutely fantastic to hear. Well, Laurie, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy, and we look forward to uh, catching up with you in August when you come down to Melbourne for the AFL International Cup. And until then, good umpiring. Sounds fantastic. I can't wait to meet you. And that ends another Best of Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival. If you'd like to listen to the program as a podcast, simply go to Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud and search for Girls Play Footy. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Girls Play Footy. And for all the latest women's footy news and articles, just go to girlsplayfooty.com. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks very much for your company and it's bye for now.